Hello, good morning. It's great to be with you. My name is Wade, and I'm a college pastor. I get to hang out with these wonderful students over here. And uh, so we're going to continue worshiping Jesus as we open his word. Let's remember that when we gather together as the family of God, under the grace of Jesus, that uh, we don't stop worshiping once the music stops, and then we do this thing called teaching, and then we start worshiping again. The whole thing's worship, right? Preaching is a is an act of worship as we hear Jesus speak to us from his word, and then we respond in faithful obedience to what he has spoken to us. And so that is why we're here, uh, is to gather together to hear from the Lord. Now we're going to continue our series in Habakkuk, and we're going to be in Habakkuk 2 uh, today. We'll start in verse 4. Our Most of our time is going to be a focus on verses 6 to 20. Now, if you have a phone, please pull it out and pull up the passage on your phone. Or if you have a Bible, uh, it's going to be really important that you have the text in front of you. It's a longer passage. And so I want to make sure that you know that the words I'm spe speaking are not just kind of out of my own imagination, but are actually from the very Word of God. So make sure you have something in front of you that has the text of Scripture. So as we go through it, you can gauge uh, where we're going. So as you turn there, I want to ask you three questions. Okay, three questions. Write these down if you want. <clears throat> the first question is, is a question about brutality. Brutality. What's the most brutal thing that you've seen someone do to another person? What's the most brutal thing that you've seen someone do to another person? The second one is a question of idolatry. Idolatry. What's one of the most foolish ways you've seen someone love something more than God? What's a foolish way you've seen someone love, commit their life to something, but in the end it kind of ends up, turns into to, to meaninglessness and, and futility. And the third thing is, is, the third question is trust. The question of trust. How can you trust God, how can we trust God to bring justice in the midst of both brutality and idolatry? How can we trust God to bring justice? The reason I ask these three questions is because this is these are kind of the questions that Habakkuk is, is dealing with. You see, we live in a world filled with human brutality and idolatry. Here are a few examples from global news reports. First, we, we live in a world where a series of bombings on Easter Sunday killed about 290 people. We live in a world, especially in places like Somalia or Afghanistan or North Korea, where people will torture you or imprison you or kill you if you follow Jesus. We live in a world where a powerful CEO uh, loves his own personal comfort and luxury so much he secretly and foolishly embezzles money for a couple decades to use for his own lavish lifestyle. And of course, by doing this, by choosing this course of action, it results in the damaging his client's financial future. Or we live in a world where a young woman from Mexico named Jessica was promised freedom, a new home, a steady income, in New York by a man she trusted. Except the man that she trusted ended up being a skilled recruiter for sex traffickers. So she was kidnapped and forced into sex slavery, becoming one of the countless women abused and emotionally suffocated to fuel a multi-billion dollar industry. We live in a world that's gone insane. A world full of brutality and idolatry. And while we have iPhones and refrigerators and credit cards and TVs, our world is actually not that different from what the prophet Habakkuk is experiencing in his own 
time. He's a man called by God to live faithfully before him, yet as he lives his life of faith before God, he looks out on the world around him and he sees the brutal ways that humans treat one another, even the brutal ways that those who claim the name of God are treating one another. But he not, 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 doesn't look just at his own community, the community of faith. He looks at the world around, the nations around him, and he sees their brutality and he sees the foolish ways that they are pursuing the created stuff instead of the all-glorious creator. And it makes him wonder, God, what are you doing? Will you bring justice? Will you put an end to all of this brutality and idolatry that's surrounding my life? It's something that we all ask. And so Parkview, Habakkuk 2, 6 to 20, is in the Bible to help God's people trust that God sees the evil that humans perpetrate against one another. And not only does he see it, but he will act in justice to put an end to it. God sees what's going on in our world, and he is committed to acting justly against it. And so in this passage, we're going to encounter five woes, okay? Five woes, which are declarations of God's justice, against, uh, of his condemnation against all forms of human sinfulness. Yet within these five woes are held two powerful realities that teach us to trust God, even when our world, when all the evidence we look at around the world is just presenting brutality and idolatry. The, and the two powerful realities are God's promise and God's presence. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the passage aloud as we listen closely to the word of God. And then we're going to move through the text and examine what the Lord would have for us and how he's going to encourage us to trust, trust in him through this. So hear now the word of the Lord from Habakkuk 2. Behold, starting in verse 4, his soul, talking about Babylon, his soul's puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who's never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all the peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them, because you've plundered many nations, and the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. 
you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. It is true, and it's given to us in love. Pray with me. Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that we would hear your voice of love and justice. May your Holy Spirit exalt Jesus from this text into our hearts for your glory and our good. Lord, we ask this not only for Central, but also for those, those at North, Lord. We pray for Pastor Casey as he preaches the word. We also pray for Pastor Fern as he preaches the word at East Campus. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower these men to proclaim your word and depends upon your Holy Spirit. And so may we trust all that you promise and hear what you speak. Love what you love and joyfully obey all that you command. We ask these things so your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So the big aim of today's message, kind of the one thing I want you to take away is this, okay? As God's, as God's people, we must trust the Lord to bring justice against all forms of human brutality and idolatry. We must trust the Lord to bring justice against all forms of human brutality and idolatry. And to get us this place of trust in God's justice, we have to look at two things in our passage, okay? Look at two things, okay? The first, we look at the pictures and punishment of brutality and idolatry. So the pictures of brutality and idolatry, what is it? What does it look like? Okay, and then the punishment, how God responds, all right? And the second thing we have to look at is the promise and presence of God, okay? So the first thing pictures and punishment. Second thing, the promise and presence of God, all right? So let's look at the first thing, okay? This is going to be a bit longer, okay? We're going to look at the pictures and punishment of brutality and idolatry. Okay? This section will be a little bit longer, so hang in there, okay? It's a longer passage, but just hang in there, okay, as we go through it, all right? So we're going to get to the five woes, but understand the five woes. We have to understand the context, right? So what's happening so far? Well, in chapter, at the end of chapter 1, Habakkuk's wondering if God will bring justice against the wicked nation of Babylon. Because he's looking out, and so far what he's seeing is how brutal they are to other humans. And he's looking at the way that they are uh, perverting worship of God by succumbing to idolatry. And from this idolatry, what's the, the, the result of it is injustice in how they're treating one another in relationships. And so Habakkuk is wondering, Lord, are you going to do something about this brutality and idolatry? And God responds, yes, in chapter 2. And God speaks to Habakkuk and shows his plan for justice. It starts at verse 4. He, starts, he says, Behold, Babylon's soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So in this verse, God contrasts the life of pride with the life of faith. A puffing up of the soul that results in brutalizing others compared to the life of faith, trusting in God to bring what is right, which of course will result then in love and justice to your neighbor. And so the life of pride, 
that God condemns is found in the five woes. And so the Lord reveals his justice in these five woes. So let's look at them, okay? Now, these woes are depicted as the cries of the oppressed. Look at verse 6, the first line. Shall not all these nations take up their taunt against him? These nations, referring to verse 5, where it's talking about how Babylon is, is kind of gathering these nations and just kind of piling up these nations one after another. And so it says, Shall not these nations take up their taunt against Babylon with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to you? But although it's kind of spoken from these nations, the message actually is a declaration of condemnation from the Lord. These are things, these five woes are the five ways that human, God condemns human pride. And so let's look at these each in turn, okay? Now there's a flow to each woe, a flow to the woes, the woe flow, okay? Here's the woe flow. Okay, you're going to see a picture, then the punishment, okay? The picture that describes what it is, and then the punishment that condemns the sin, okay? So woe number one. Well, number one is greed. Okay, look at verse 5 to 8. And the picture, picture we're going to see, is kind of a large pile of stolen goods. Okay? Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says this. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. So here is a shopper on Black Friday. It's kind of the image, we might think. You know, and the nation's Babylon with the cart, okay? And just piling up more and more stuff, Okay? But the stuff is not stuff they plan to purchase on Black Friday with great deals. Rather, the stuff is belonging to other people. And they're compiling more and more stuff, more financial pledges, pledges right? It says in verse 6, as a guarantee of repayment. But here's the point of this first picture, okay? Is this, is what's showing is we live in a world where people get rich by stealing others, by stealing from others who are in a vulnerable position. People get rich by stealing from others who are in a vulnerable position. Maybe there are some of you here today who have been the victims of this sort of prideful greed. Today we call it financial exploitation or we call it predator lending. It's when someone with power abuses their authority over someone who is vulnerable in order to gain more wealth. So how does God respond to this picture of brutality, this large pile of stolen goods, okay? Stolen goods at the expense of other people's lives. How does God respond? Well, look at verse 7. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man, the violence of the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. So like a, this is like a boomerang. Okay? It's a boomerang principle. We'll see this in this woe. We'll see it in the other woes as well. Okay? And it's this. What, th what this nation does to others will come back around to them. God will put right the wrongs that they inflict on others. God will make that right. God will bring it back upon their own head. So in the first woe, we see a picture of humans greedy to pile up material wealth. But to gain more material, material wealth at the expense of others. And we've seen this throughout history, right? We think about the brutal acts of slavery. Slavery functioned as a way to maintain wealth. And when we see such brutality, we wonder, will God do something? And yes, the first woe is saying, yes, God sees that. God sees the injustice. God sees the financial exploitation. He sees the predator lending. He sees the slavery. He sees that and he says, no. Woe to you who participate in such forms of injustice. God sees it and he will, and he will act. So we can trust him. We can trust him that he will put things right. Second woe. 
Okay, second woe is about security, verses 9 to 11. In Phoenix, where I grew up, I lived nearby a uh, mountain called Camelback. Okay, Camelback Mountain, there were a bunch of uh, houses, okay, huge mansions, okay, set up on top of this mountain, kind of overlooking everything. And that's kind of the, the picture that we're seeing in verse 9. Okay, not, not saying that these people, okay, woe against them, okay, that's not what I'm saying, okay. But the image of kind of a house that's safe and secure kind of from harm is what we see in this section, second picture of brutality in verse 9. Look down. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Here's the nation of Babylon who, out of pride, they create lifestyles of personal security, but they do so by, look down at verse 10, they do so by cutting off many peoples. So the point of the picture is this. We live in a world, Parkview, we live in a world, when we know this, we live in a world where people obtain a lifestyle of safety by means of harming and or killing other people. So how does God respond to this brutality? Well, he, he brings this punishment. Look at verse 10 to 11. It says, God says, you have forfeited your life. Your, your life's done for. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork. So the crime against humanity is punishable by death. And what's more, the very place of security that they created by harming others, that very place, it actually will call out against them in condemnation, right? What does it say? It's really a fascinating picture. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork. So there's, there's this wall with wood covering these people and like, it's like speaking at them. It's speaking punishment that their time is up and the Lord sees what they're doing and he's bringing an end to it. People's pursuit of security is so often consumed with personal advantage that we end up taking other people's lives in the process. We're brutal towards each other and how we gain financial security. And God condemns it. It's woe number two. Woe number three. Woe number three is about power. Okay, verses 12 to 14. The picture is a towel made of blood. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Now, could you imagine every building on the Pentecost made by human blood? Or the old cap, but its walls are of human blood. Its doors, blood. Its steps, blood. Every inch is made by human blood. That's the picture that we're seeing here. And what it reveals is this, is that when humans grab power without compassion for those under their influence, it is condemned by the Lord as sin. When people become stepping stones on their way to a throne— that is condemned by the Lord. And that's what Babylon is doing. It's building a town with blood. They're founding a city on iniquity. It's obtaining power through harm and oppression of others. Pride causes people to grab power through the pain of others. Sadly, we can see this in our own justice system at times. Stories of men and women locked in prison for crimes they did not commit, all because people in power turned a blind eye to obvious evidence that called for those people's innocence. And all of this because the people in power need to placate the media's insistence that someone pay for the crime so they can maintain their status. And how God respond to this type of brutality? Well, it's punished. Verse 13, look down. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Now, the poetic language might feel a little bit tricky for us, okay? It's kind of worded differently than how we would speak in everyday language here. 
uh, in 21st century America. Uh, but if we just kind of translate it, it would basically saying this, the Lord will ultimately frustrate the nations that gain power through violence. Okay, look down. What does it say? He will make them weary themselves for nothing. Their work will end in nothing. Their work, work will turn to nothingness. Their work of building a city through blood will end up being condemned. And we think of history, right? We think of the Roman Empire, or we think of maybe more, more recent history, something like Nazi Germany. Where it was clear that the nation created cities through violent bloodshed, all of them being destroyed in the end. The Bible is clear. When thrones or empires or businesses or companies are built upon laws or practices of unjust treatment towards God's image bearers, God will act in justice. He will end that sin. And so we saw the first picture, right? A large pile of stones, selfish greed. Second picture, a nice house safe from harm. It's a picture of self-centered security. The third picture we saw is a town made of blood. Yet in all of these, God will bring justice in the end. We can trust God, according to his word, that in the end, he will bring justice against such brutality. That's the message of Habakkuk 2 so far. It's to encourage God's people to hold on to faith that even though you look out and you're seeing these things happen, that you can trust God that he will do what is right in the end. He will put things right. Let's turn to the fourth woe. The fourth woe, verses 15 to 17, is sexual exploitation. Sexual exploitation. The fourth picture of brutality is seen in verse 15. The picture is, is it's of a drunk person lying on the floor naked and exposed. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. So this verse reveals one of the most horrendous forms of human injustice. Parkview, can you imagine this? Can you imagine what's being spoken of here? People using alcohol to get others drunk so they can gaze at them sexually. Using a substance so that they can take advantage of another person sexually. That's what Babylon's doing then. But if we're honest, it's, it's what's happening today. Verse 15 sounds like 21st century America. Studies reveal that of the 25% of women who have been sexually assaulted or raped, half of those involved alcohol consumption. So how does God respond to this brutal way humans treat one another? Well, it's punished. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Basically saying, hey, you can get drunk, use your alcohol. Yeah, enjoy that. Enjoy the party. But here's what's coming in the end. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them or the blood of man and violence of the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. It's the boomerang principle again. The shame that these people are inflicting on others sexually will rebound upon them. In the Bible, the cup of the Lord's right hand is the cup of God's wrath against human sinfulness. I know some of us think of this as being a bit harsh. This passage about God's justice, and we see this throughout the prophets, is where we see God, God's anger, God's righteous anger against human injustice, and it bothers us. And we think, what about the God of love? Yes, God is a God of love. And God loves 
his people so much that when he sees injustice being inflicted on one of his precious sons or daughters, you better believe that like any good father, he gets angry. And in his righteous anger, he will do something to put right what humans do wrong. God's justice, Parkview, is always an overflow of his love. God's righteous wrath is always an overflow of his love. His love is so big that he wants to eradicate every little minuscule of evil in this world. And he will bring justice. We see this justice played out in a situation like that of Larry Nasser. The gymnastics coach who is now facing multiple life sentences in prison for sexual assault. The cup of the Lord's justice always comes around. Parkview, we can trust the Lord will do what is right. He will bring justice. Now I want to pause here. I want to pause and reflect on why the gospel is so good, therefore. I don't know if you ever watched those videos of the trial of Larry Nasser, but there was one of the young women who's a mom now. She was actually the first person that brought up charges against him. She was the last person to, to testify in court. And if you listen to her testimony, she has a moment in there talking about, in the midst of justice, she's very clear that God will bring justice against the wicked acts that this man did against the hundreds of young women. But what she explains is that there is mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's a Christian. And that's what we need to understand. Because maybe the question raising up in your mind is, wait, what if I've actually done those things? What if I've been someone who in my management, I've actually stolen money and I regret it terribly? Does that mean God's judgment will land upon me? What if I'm someone who has sexually harmed another person? Well, God's judgment will be upon me? Well, the, the teaching of the Bible is yes, Unless. See, there was, you remember it was raining this morning, okay? Say all of us are in the park view, okay? Or, or, or in the parking lot of park view, okay? And it's just, it's about to rain. We know it's about to rain, okay? There are two types of people. There are either those who will stand there letting rain fall down upon them or those who know the rain is coming and will go take refuge under the shelter at Parkview, just out here. There's two types of people, okay? God's judgment will rain down upon all human wickedness, which is everyone in here, me and you. All human wickedness will be judged by God. The question is, will, you just, will we stand out there and just try to take it by ourselves, or will we take refuge under the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross? And that's the offer of the gospel to all of us, no matter how terribly you've sinned or what you've done three years ago that you still regret today, or you did 15 years ago that you still regret today. No matter the type of human brutality or injustice, the offer of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, all your sins can be forgiven. You can have the righteousness of Jesus given to you, received by faith, and you can be brought into the family of God where he loves you. And the way he treats you is as he treats his own son, Jesus. That is the scandal of grace, that people who do these type of sins can actually receive the mercy of Jesus. And so your judgment no longer falls on you, but it has fallen upon Jesus Christ. The offer of the gospel is this. The good news is that Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners in their place, bearing upon himself 
God's judgment, God's wrath, God's righteous anger towards human perversion and wickedness and brutality and idolatry. That is the good news. And what you do is you receive it by faith. You enter into what Jesus has done. You stand under the cross and say, Jesus, what you done, what you did, apply it to me. And as it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, that we are saved then from the wrath to come because there is a wrath to come. There is a day where God will put right all of this human wickedness. And guess what? That, it's not going to fall on us. If you are safe under the shelter of Jesus Christ, Jesus took your judgment. And so therefore, justice is good news for you and me. For those of us who have taken shelter under Jesus, justice is good news. Because what it's saying is that, that, that what's happening out there, God, God's going to work it out. God sees it, part of you. God's going to do something about it. One day he will put things right. And we'll go back to the, the, the last woe, the fifth woe, which is idolatry. What says this, what profit is an idol when it makes, uh, when after it's shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath at all in it. So the ultimate form of human pride is forsaking love of God by terminating our loves and our joys in created stuff. Verse 18 says, we look to our idols to teach us how to live. But, but what's, what ends up happening, though, is, is that the, the idols can't teach because they're not real, because they're dead. They're powerless, right? What does the verse say in 19? They're speechless, right? They, don't, they can't even say anything. Author Colin Smith references a Wall Street Journal article entitled Redefining God. The reporter Lisa Miller says this about idolatry. People are redefining God. They're dissatisfied with conventional images of an authoritarian or paternalistic deity. People are embracing quirky, individualistic conceptions of God to suit their own spiritual needs. So at its root, idolatry is like a spiritual buffet, right? So we kind of go down through the line. We get to choose which parts of God we like, which parts of God we don't like, which parts of Scripture we really like, which parts of Scripture we don't want to be in there. And we pull a Thomas Jefferson and cut out that stuff and make a God after our own image. But the thing is, that profits you nothing in the end that will not lead to your eventual joy. It can only lead to emptiness because that God that we create in our mind, it actually doesn't, doesn't even exist. It has no power to do anything. So there you go. Those are the five woes, right? Those are the pictures and then the, the, the punishments, okay? But let's remember the big aim, right? We must trust the Lord that he will bring justice against all forms of brutality and idolatry, okay? And we know that why, because the second, second main point, right? Because of the promise and the presence of God. The promise and presence of God, okay? In a world of greed, exploitation, obtaining violence, obtaining power through violence, what is the promise and presence of God to bring justice? Well, look back at verse 14. We skipped two verses. Maybe you knew that. But look back at verse 14. After hearing the three woes against human brutality, okay, the earth is filled According to verse 3, woes, earth is filled with injustice. It's filled with corruption, with violence, with greedy self-interest. We hear this good news, verse 14. For the earth will be, future, future tense, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now think about it. Think about it, part of you. Verse 14 says, the earth will be filled with God's glory as waters cover the sea. Now how much of the sea is covered with water? Is there any part of the sea that's not drenched, submerged, overwhelmed, and filled, filled with water? No. 
So what's this verse saying? It's saying this, and this is, this is what we've got to understand. You see, when we look out there and we see a world filled with human brutality and violence and idolatry, God's promise, God's plan is to replace all the brutality with knowledge of his glory. God has come to reverse the curse that sin has set upon this world. Think about how much of your knowing right now of this world, right? How much of your knowing and understanding this world is filled with pictures of brutality. Terrible things people have done to you or things done to harm those you love or things that you've seen in the news. Yet verse 14 is God's promise to his people, his commitment to eradicate human brutality and idolatry from earth forever, to rinse it clean and to fill his world with a knowledge, an intimate, worshipful relationship with him. A world filled with people living for his glory. A world overflowing with the glory of God. And what is the glory of God but his self-giving love to bless? His presence of justice and beauty and mercy. That's the world God wants to make. And that one day he will bring a world filled with generosity, self-giving care, humble service, sexual wholeness, and wholehearted worship of God. This is God's promise, but how is he going to do it? We're just going to do it, verse 20, look down. Verse 20, right after stating how the idols can't do anything, they can't speak, they're not alive, look down at verse 20. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. In contrast to the idols, the Lord is in his holy temple. He is alive. He is the living God. And he sees what's going on. He's in his holy temple, which is the dwelling place of God, where heaven touches earth. And God is there on his throne and he's looking out upon all the wickedness of the world and he knows what's going on and he is going to do something about it. It's the presence of our holy God, our glorious God, that gives us the confidence to trust that he will bring justice. And we know this in a way that Habakkuk never did. You see, we see in 3D HD color what Habakkuk only saw in 2D black and white. Habakkuk, Habakkuk knew he could trust God to bring justice against brutality and idolatry because of two things, right? God's promise, verse 14, to bring a new earth, okay? But also God's presence, okay? God's in his temple. But, but Parkview, in Jesus Christ, we see what this all actually looks like. In Jesus, we have all the more reason to trust that God will bring justice. And how so? I mean, think about who Jesus is. John, chapter 1, the gospel of John says, Jesus is the glory of God in human form. The glory of God in human form. He is the God of the temple coming to dwell with his people. He is the God come to recreate this world of brutality and make it a home of justice and peace and wholeness. And think about what Jesus did. Just think about who Jesus is and what he did, right? I mean, think about the woes. What are the woes expressing to us? The woes are showing a world filled with what? A world filled with greedy self-interest. Well, in verse 5 and 6, as we saw, gathering for himself, nations heaping up what's not his own. It's a world filled with people gaining riches at the expense of other people. But who is Jesus? Jesus is the God who gives riches of life and forgiveness and love at the expense of his own life. Jesus became poor so you, cannot, you and I could become rich, right? I mean, think of the second woe, right? About selfish security. And we look out and we see that in our world, right? Evil gain for his house, setting his nest on high, Okay, setting his nest on the highest place, free from harm, free from damage, right? But they do that, right, through the brutality of killing others. So it's personal safety at the expense of other people. But who is Jesus? Jesus is the God who left his nest on high. 
He left heaven. He left the security of heaven. And he willingly took harm on himself in his crucifixion. Jesus was cut off so we could be connected back to God. Not secure for himself, but giving us real security and knowing his love and his peace. What about the abuse of power? Verse 12 says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity, okay? Taking power by harming other people. But what do we see in Jesus? Jesus, the greatest display of Jesus' power is where? The cross of crucifixion. He came not to be served, but to serve. And then just think about it, right? Think about it. Could you imagine, Parkview, a town filled with blood? A town created by blood? Well, did you know there's a town coming called the New Jerusalem? which is going to be part of a new creation. You know who's going to be a part of that town? People who have been washed in the blood of a crucified and resurrected Messiah. That's a town built with blood. Or what about sexual exploitation, the fourth woe? In a world filled with brutality of sexual shame, Jesus endured the shame of the cross so he can bring you healing, redemption, and restoration. And idolatry, friends, our idols can't speak they can't provide life to us, but, but, but Jesus, he's the real God who speaks. He's the real God who can give life. He's the real God who can enter into this world of brutality and injustice and actually do something about it. What am I getting at? I'm getting at this. You know when you like wear a shirt, right? And if you like gets out of the wash, maybe in the wash it kind of turned inside out and backward and you put it on and it just feels really weird. You know, it doesn't fit right. See, that's what's happened to humanity. You see, what the woes show us is that humanity is inside out and backwards. We're not functioning the way we're supposed to be. We, we are all out of sorts. The way we treat each other with brutality and violence, the way that we terminate our loves in the created stuff instead of worshiping God, something has gone terribly wrong. And what Jesus has done, he's come to flip us right side up and turn us around. Jesus has come to make us the true humans we're always meant to be, but we never, we never can be by our own power. That's what Jesus has come to do. Habakkuk 2, 6 to 20, shows a God very much like Jesus. A God who's willing to enter into the injustice of the world, take it upon himself, go through death and through resurrection, and come out. And you know what he does? He calls a church. And you know what the church is? The church is this foretaste, okay? A preview of coming attractions. We have this new earth coming. You know God, right? Jesus promised, right? Is the new earth, right? Filled with his glory. Guess what the church is? It's the place of the presence of Christ among us. So what's the calling of this text for us, Parkview? The, the calling is this. In a world full of woe, in a world full of injustice and brutality and idolatry, we are called to be a community with Jesus at the center, where Jesus is recreating us after his image, and he's preparing us for this new creation. You know when you watch movies, right? Uh, you, you see like the previews of the coming, coming attractions, right? That's what the church is right now. We have this coming new world filled with the glory of Jesus, the justice of Jesus, the love and peace of Jesus. And guess what Jesus wants to do right now in us, Parkview? He wants us to be a witness to the nations, the nations that are raging against one another, the nations that are broken in sin, the nations that are weighed down by idolatry. And we become a people that through the mercy of Jesus Christ, we get turned right side up and turned outward towards this world bringing the gospel, declaring the good news that through Jesus, the judgment, the wrath of God to come doesn't have to fall on you because it's fallen on Christ and you can take refuge in him. And the justice of Jesus and the grace of Jesus can reshape our relationships. And so think about, 
what that means for us, right? In a world of brutality outside of us, here in this church, we're called to be a witnessing community where the way we treat each other is not in greed, but in generosity. Not in selfish security, but in self-sacrificial humility. Not in grabs for power, but in using our power and influence to serve and love others. Not in sexual exploitation, but in dignity and respect and honoring one another. This is what Jesus Christ has called us to. This is what he's doing by his Holy Spirit right now as a witness to the nations. And as we live this life out by the power of the Spirit, we declare the gospel of Jesus. And we call everyone, everywhere, to repent of their injustice, to repent of their idolatry, and trust and cling to Jesus. And in him, find life. That is what we're called to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've called us to in your Lord Jesus. Thank you from a passage like this. We see that Jesus is doing something in this world. He will one day put right everything that has gone wrong. And he wants to start doing it right now through his church. Lord, we are called to be a witnessing community to the nations of what Christ is like and how we treat and love one another, not in brutality, Lord, but in kindness and love and gentleness. And as we display what Jesus is like, we speak his message of good news that they can come and be forgiven and shelter under his cross where he took upon justice for sin. And so we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.